Welcome to the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast, where educators come together to discuss their journey on the road to financial independence. Now, please join our co-host, Dave and Brandon, as they prepare to help other educators get fit with their finances. Welcome and thanks for joining us on episode number 82 of the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast. If you think your story can help other educators and you'd be willing to come on the show, please shoot me an email at getfiteducator at gmail.com. Coach, how are things in New Bern, North Carolina? I know that uh, we're recording these episodes early in the summer, but I know football has started by the time this episode comes out. Gosh, you're probably going to be in about week six or week seven. How's your mindset heading into uh, a big football season with the new coaching staff? Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in, uh, you know, I enjoy it. I love, I love coaching, uh, uh, in general, I love coaching, but you know, football is a special time, you know, Friday night football, you know, it's always, it's always something special about that. And so, you know, we're looking at our team and we're going to be, we are young in experience. I think we graduated almost every touchdown from last year that we scored. So, you know, who's going to score the ball. It's all, it's exciting. Cause somebody's going to step up, you know, you just got to figure out who that is and, um, I'm the offensive coordinator, so I'm, you know, putting an offense in and 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 hoping that I can match what we're doing on the, in the playbook to the talent that we have on the field, and that's always the challenge. So, looking forward. Well, to good luck, good luck, and continued good luck as you make it through the season. I know it's long nights, and I appreciate you being willing to record early in the summer. So, as we're hitting the grind, you know, maybe we can take our foot off the gas a little bit. So, Coach, I appreciate that. I'm really excited about today's show because I'm actually being able to host my second cousin, Keith. Speaking of football, the school that he teaches at, uh, whenever like ESPN and Max Preps and different uh, companies like that come out with like the top 100 high schools in the country for football, generally my cousin Keith's high school has been in that top list. Coach, I know you're a sports fan. I don't know who your favorite, well, I guess you're a Panthers fan, but before that. Um, so just some names that, uh, that come from Keith's school. And if, if Keith, if I'm missing any, let me know. Paul Warfield, Hall of Famer for the Miami Dolphins, uh, on the team that went undefeated, perfect season with the Dolphins. Uh, Corey Stringer, if you remember Corey Stringer, coach, the offensive lineman from the Minnesota Vikings who sadly passed away uh, way too young. Maurice Claret, the running back from Ohio State who won a national championship and beat Miami. You've got Mario Manningham, MVP of the Super Bowl for the New York Giants. Um, and the list goes on and on. I'm sure I'm missing some other ones, Keith. <laughs> Yeah, there was a so there was, there was a Super Bowl where Bolden was on the team as well. Against uh, he played for the the New England Patriots when the when the Giants were playing uh, the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So we had two kids in the Super Bowl at the same time. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah, you talk about a powerhouse, Warren G. Harding High School in Northeast Ohio, Warren, Ohio. I'm so proud to be from that region. It's just a it's a it's a tough area, Rust Belt. A lot of jobs have come and gone. You know, people like me, I know my graduating class had 165 in it, and I know at least 28 people in my graduating class that have moved to North Carolina. So you look at the numbers there, I don't know what that is, 15% or so of my graduating class that I know of lives in North Carolina. Keith, you stuck around, man. Uh, you yeah. went to Warren Harding, right? Yes, I did. Proud 1991 graduate. So you were right there with Corey Stringer in that whole yeah. group. Yeah, my senior year, we won the state championship with them. It was amazing. It's so cool to have a cousin on the show, Brandon, because his uncle, Mark Fleischer, 
who I, I believe he's in the Hall of Fame for Teal College up in uh, Western Pennsylvania as a basketball player and a swimmer. Like that was someone that I know that I looked up to. Sadly, he passed away too early. But just knowing that he was a really important face in our community, he was a longtime guidance counselor. You know, Keith is a little bit older than me. So when he passed, I was, you know, I was maybe in my teens, you know, just not really aware or caring as much about family maybe then as I should have. But how much of a role did did uh, Uncle Mark play in, in you getting into education with him being a lifetime guidance counselor? Yeah, Uncle Mark was like my man. He was uh he taught me just about everything. He took me golfing at a young age. He took me to the YMCA and taught me how to lift weights. And uh, he was uh, he was quite a bit my mentor. And of course, I went into teaching after he had, after he had been in the teaching. And I leaned on him very heavily my first few years. And and uh, he's the reason why I invest money now because uh, he was the one who got me in one hundred percent. He got me in. And we're gonna get we're gonna get into that story more in depth. But uh, you went to Warren Harding High School, and now you're you're teaching at the same school that you graduated from. How many years have you been in it, and what is it like to teach in the school that you used to walk the halls from? Well, I'm in my I'm going into my 26th year of teaching, and I I absolutely love it. I'm Warren through and through. I live in Warren. I sent my kids to that school in Warren, and I just believe in the in the school district and the people and the students and. Yeah, I wouldn't want to teach anywhere else. I absolutely love it. So, yeah. We need more teachers that feel that way about the schools that they work at. You know, I always, I'm sure you, you're, the way you communicate in your community is very positive about the high school. And I'm afraid that's not always the case. And uh, I think that's, that's professional. And you really feel it, which makes it even better. But I always feel like it's unprofessional when teachers badmouth their school or, you know, badmouth their colleagues and things like that in the community. It sends a terrible message. So, I mean, that's awesome that you work at a school where you can really, you really believe in, you know, what the school does in the community. I did the math quickly there. You, you went to college for four years and went straight into teaching. Yeah. Uh, you graduated in 91. So you were fairly young when you took that first teaching job. Uh, did anybody help you get on a budget and get you set up for investing or, or, or set a plan for you or, or did no. you have to kind of stumble a little bit uh, to try to make that happen? How, 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 in other words, how well did you execute that coming right out of college? Well, I got to tell you, coming out of college, you know, I actually was working at the Tribune Chronicle making real good money. I worked in the basement for the New York times. So I remember when I got my teaching position, it was actually going to be a slight pay reduction so I talked to the Tribune. They continued to let me work there on Friday and Saturday nights just so I can kind of keep the job. And, I'm, you know, teaching's tough your first year. You don't even know if you can do it. It's it's so difficult. You're making next to nothing. And, you know, at the same time, I, I was continuing to be a choir director at a church. So I was, you know, I was going in a lot of different directions. But, no, I had no plan. And at that point, it was I was in the middle of the ocean. I was treading water as hard as I could, trying not to trying not to drown to start my life, you know. So didn't really get into investing until about my third year. Well, yeah, probably the summer before my fourth year. So say like my fourth year of teaching was the year that I really uh, that I really got in. So your budget pretty much coming out of college was just uh, hand to mouth. You were just making enough to make ends meet, I'm guessing. Were you able to put any money in savings or anything at that point? Or were you just paycheck to paycheck? I had a little bit of savings. I always knew that there was a you, you needed to protect yourself. You needed to 
you needed to have money to do stuff just in case. So I always had a nice base on or a respect for saving. So I did have a little bit of money saved in that. But gotcha. like I said, it, it was it was still treading water time, man. It was yeah. uh, working hard, you know. Now, you're the choir director at your school. When you initially got hired as a young guy in your early 20s, is that the first position that you had moving into that position? Or has that kind of changed and you got there later on in your career? Uh, no, that was my first position wow. was choir director. And um, I probably was a church choir director prior to school. I th- probably 1994 was when I started to, to be a church choir director. So I had done that for three years prior to starting to teach. So I knew how to be a choir director and I kind of got into it through through that aspect. What have the numbers looked like for you over the years in your 26 year career? Um, I don't know if off the top of your head, you know how many kids you had in the choir and what you've been at your highest point? Well, we, we, we're very strong. Obviously, COVID has, has taken a ding on us, and it was a purposeful ding because we had to reduce our numbers based upon social distancing. So as of the last two years, our numbers have been purposefully a little bit lower. But uh, you know, prior to that, our numbers were as big as they've ever been. We're talking probably teach about 220, 230 kids a day, you know, contact that many kids. Yeah. Wow. It's a blessing. I teach a lot of classes. I teach um, concert choir. I teach the madrigal singers. I teach an acapella class. I teach a, we have a piano class at our school. I teach a um, a music appreciation class. So there's, and I have a full-time assistant under me as well. Mary me, she's wonderful. And we, we work well with the kids. We're kind of like the mother and father of our, of our little vocal music uh, family, so to speak. Wow. So yeah, 220 kids. Is that 220? So you said 220 kids a day. That is uh, that is a tough, that's tough for anyone. That's, that's a tough job there. Um, and then, you know, of course you're, you're, so you're, you're doing the choir after school. So you got extracurricular there. How, what's your work day look like? How many hours? And yeah. My, my work day is, you know, 7.15 till 2.45. And then, of course, you know, Christmas time comes and I've got, you know, 17 concerts in the month of December and stuff right. like that. I'm out in the community and doing gigs like that. And that's that's my true love. That's what we absolutely love to get the to get the talented young singers out in front of the public so they can see how awesome our kids are at Warren G. Harding. I love the extracurricular activities because you can use them again. I get, some some people would only know your school potentially. I mean, maybe not your high school because it's known for some other things. But, you know, like as a wrestling coach, I'll say, you know, there's a lot of people in the state that may only know about my school because of wrestling. And mm-hmm. so you, you you put a team on the mat and it's a it's they're ambassadors for your school. And, you know, so that's always so anybody that leads an extracurricular activity has opportunity, I think, to empower students to be ambassadors for their school. So I, I, always, I love all of the extracurricular activities. They I think they sure. all you know, are, are so meaningful. Um, so you said it was about three years before you got into investing. Maybe you could talk to us just yeah. a little bit about that. See what happened, you know, David mentioned my uncle, Mark Fleischer. He's, he's the greatest. And I would go over, he'd come over my house and he'd say, Keith, we got to talk about you investing in this 403B. Now I'm in my, you know, I'm in my third year of teaching. I'm not making anything. I'm struggling, man. I'm like, you know, we can't barely go out to dinner and stuff like that. And 
So I, like everybody would, would say I, you know, I made excuses. I made a bunch of excuses. I got kids. I got this. I got that. I got bills. I'm not making anything. And every single time I would see him, he'd be like, let me see your paycheck, man. Let me see if it's in there. Let me see it. And it just got to a point where I was kind of avoiding my dude. You know, I was avoiding the man who was my mentor. So finally, I remember one day there he was in the driveway of my house. And I was like, oh, I'm not even going to stop and see him. And that's when I knew I was like, it's just time. My fear of of letting him down was more than my fear of the, the great unknown of investing. And I went in and I, I got to this guy from MetLife. His name was Andrew Belazer. And I said, sign me up for 25 bucks a pay. And when I got my first paycheck, I was scared to death. And well, the $25 was gone out of my paycheck. But when it said, you know, MetLife on my paycheck, it said $32. I said, what the heck? Where did this $7 come from? How did I just make $7? And it was crazy. So I was like, and I just started pushing, man. I started pushing. I was like, oh, I wonder if I did 50, if it would be 64. Sure enough, boom, I'd invested 50. And this $14 came out of nowhere. So that was that was the beginning of it. And, and basically, you know, I sacrificed majorly because I think that's my biggest, my biggest thing that I bring to the table is that, you know, I, I, I lived in a very modest house at the beginning of my career. I still live in that house. I bought my house in 1996 for $50,000. My payment was like 300 bucks a month. So that's one of the main reasons why I was able to just push because I basically took year four to year 10. I did not take a raise. Every single raise, I just took straight to my man Belazo and MetLife and I was pushing it in I was pushing it as hard as I could. And, you know, at one point I was, I was investing over $700 a paycheck and uh, it was, it was crazy. And it's, you know, it's, it's that fear thing. It's like I said to David, I would, I'd go into that teacher's lounge and I would call every day. Is it there? Is the money still there? Maybe I'm being swindled. Maybe I'm, you know what I mean? (laughs) Did, Did you have any conversations with other teachers or was this kind of a private thing that, you know, you were scared as heck. It sounds like, and making the phone calls. Is it still there? Did somebody scam me? Did you have yeah. other conversations with other teachers? I, like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. And they're like, why would you do that? Or were they saying, hey, honest with you. Yeah. I gotta be honest with you, David. I got no support from other teachers, man. It was like, they kind of looked at me like I was crazy. Now I can't blame them because, you know, I came into education and, you know, there was no fear of retirement. My choir director, who I love dearly, Mr. Girton, who taught at Harding for 29 years, he just had retired and he was getting his full pension. Plus then he was double dipping. He was going to another school and teaching full time. And his wife, Carol Girton, love her to death. She was, you know, fully retired and she was back double dipping. And so they had like, you know, so the people that I was surrounded with, man, retirement just seemed like, this is easy. That's crazy. I'll just, you know, double dip and do whatever, you know? So yeah, basically the, the main person was Mark Fleischer who just, he, he got me into it. And then my, my little touch OCD took over and I, and I, you know, things kind of took from there. What did your uh, debt situation look like as you started to invest? Did you still have a student loan? Did you have car payments? What, what did the debt situation look you know, like? 
Oh yeah, I had I had student loans. I had about uh, I think my payment on my student loan it was about ten thousand dollars in student loan. I think I paid like one hundred and twenty bucks a month for my student loan. So that's all going on, you know. And, and we all know you don't make anything until like your tenth year of teaching. It's just this trickle thing. Um, but yeah, I did have a car payment. I definitely had a car payment, and but but you know that was that was about it with those with those two things. So you said you started out doing $25 a paycheck mm-hmm. and, you know, Brandon and I will occasionally get pushed back. We might post on our social media and say, Hey, teachers, if you can just do a hundred dollars a month over the course of your 30 year career. And if you even continue to invest after that until say 65, you might have five, six, seven, $800,000. And a lot of people will come back and say, well, I'm a single parent and I've got children. And, and those are obviously realities. That's not made up or, yeah. but I can't do it because I've got a car loan or I've got student loans um, you know, you started small. It sounds like by year 10, you eventually got up to $700 a month. Yeah. If you don't mind, no, seven, David, 700 a paycheck, my brother. Oh, and then you weeks. get paid twice a month. We only get yeah. paid once a month oh, in North oh, Carolina. Yeah, dude. I mean, I was, yeah. So when you're doing that 1400 a month. Yeah. What oh, are you, yeah. gonna, what are you going to be doing this year? Well, I've, I've dialed way back. I've dialed way back, probably, you know, probably in about 2014 is when I just decided, you know, it's a strange thing. I remember it taking so long to get $20,000 and even longer to get a hundred thousand. Like that journey from zero to a hundred thousand is like a walk in the Alaska, you know what I'm like the Sahara (laughs) desert, dude. But then once you get there, you get to 200, like, three times as fast. And then you get to 300 even quicker. And then it's like a snowball. So I kind of made it an executive decision to kind of pull back a little bit with my contributions. I am still contributing, you know, decently, but uh, nothing like I was back then because the ebbs and the flow of the market, you know, squash anything that I can put in paycheck to paycheck now. So I just basically sit back and watch the pendulum swing, man. And and, uh, you know, enjoy the good days and ignore the bad days. <laughs> yeah, that's what you have to do, man. Like, I, I really think I think teachers would be best if they just set it and forget it. You know, don't 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 mm-hmm. pay it. Don't even pay attention to the day to day. You know, maybe just check it once or twice a year, you know, right. something like that. Leave it leave it alone. Um, we'll say this, that my, you know, one of the things that I did to, to facilitate those first couple of years of, of tough earnings and the things that we had mentioned, I was this, I was supplemental, man. I mean, I had, I was the head of national honor society. I was the head of my student council. I was the girls golf coach for 10 years. I was the robotics golf or the robotics field coach for 11 years. I mean, I just push, put, and I also got a, a supplemental for being the choral director. And like I said, I have been a choir director at a church. I still am a choir director at church, Todd Avenue Methodist, right by the hot dog shop there since 1994. That's a lot of 20 year old getting up. Sat, you know what I mean? I'm out Saturday night having a good time enjoying it. And I got to be like, yo, guys, I got to direct a choir tomorrow morning. I got to get in by midnight. You know what I mean? I've done that since 1994. That is awesome. So, man. You know, you, there's excuses out there, but there's also options out well, you know, there to squash those excuses. Here's the terrible thing about North Carolina. Most of those things you just mentioned, we don't get paid for. We just get voluntold to do it. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, we, yeah, that's we tough, work- we work for free a lot in North Carolina. And I mean, we really, North Carolina has got a lot to answer for. 
uh, mm-hmm. with what they do. Uh, teachers should probably really, we, we've talked about this before. Teachers should start refusing to do some things uh, because they shouldn't expect us to work for free. But in North Carolina, we do, we get, we get, we get asked to work for free a lot in Ohio. Do they pay you to, uh, to cover classes? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, we got our contract and if we, you know, if we lose our, prep period or something like that we submit something they're good to us yeah not not us we we get asked to cover classes and we don't get paid to do that either so it's it it is of it so depending on where you are in the country you Mm -hmm. have some opportunities to make some extra money while you're teaching yes it could help supplement your investments and so you know uh kudos to you for uh taking advantage of all that that's great thank you and i think this is one of the messages uh, of fit is as educators, a lot of us, we're not necessarily getting wealthy due to our teaching job, like as far as the, the income, even with the supplementals that, that Keith would have up in Ohio that we don't have in North Carolina. But teaching gives us an opportunity to hopefully be an expert in at least one area. Hopefully it's an area that you're passionate about. And you talked about being the, the choral director at your church, and you've been doing that for 20 plus years. Is that something that not that you view it this way, but does it end up kind of being a side hustle where, you know, it's it's a paid position and you're taking your passion and your talents that you have in school and now you're utilizing and mobilizing that outside of school, even though you started doing it before you were teaching? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, my church position is wonderful. It's it's built, you know, I'm a Christian and I would be bringing my family to church anyway. And we have a wonderful church family where we go now and I I'm on the church golf league. It's it's a wonderful thing, and it just it just happens to coincide so nicely with uh, with with my need for just a little bit of extra income because I was so busy, you know, investing in that. And uh, it it was it's been amazing the whole time. And you know that's a, that's a long time. And even prior to that, before that, I was a paid singer at a church. That was like when I became a choir director. So. I've, I've been blessed by that. And, uh, you know, we, we'll talk a little bit later about Social Security, but I officially have no zeros. I have 35 years of some sort of earnings. So that'll be when I go to retire. That'll be a little bit of a bump because of the windfall elimination provision that so wonderfully takes us out of the, the picture with that. But, uh, you know, that I think that in the end will help definitely. Well, let's talk about that just a little bit. Let's talk about mm-hmm. what your retirement looks like. If you if you're comfortable with what your net worth is, and yeah. you know maybe maybe talk a little bit about the um, obviously you've sort of reverse engineered your career. I don't I, it, when you start investing seven hundred dollars a paycheck, fourteen hundred dollars a month, you're not doing that without an end in mind, typically because right. that's a big sacrifice. So you're you're pushing towards something. So maybe talk to us a little bit about you know what your vision was for retirement and what it is and. Well, it was no coincidence, too, that my daughter was born. My daughter, Kelsey Rising, who is my best buddy and my partner in crime. I love her to death. And she was born in 2000. And that was the year that I really kind of started to invest. And uh, somewhere along the line, I transitioned myself to thinking, well, you know, we're a one income family. I got to have two teacher kind of retirements for our retirement thing to that kind of transition to, because I always looked at retirement, like I want my retirement to be better than my, my working. Cause I'm going to have more time to do stuff. I'm not going to want to sit around the couch and, you know, and try to ration out my little, you know, the money I get every month. I want to go out and I want to go places. I want to travel. I want to do amazing things, but that, that kind of transition to the thought of generational social change and wealth for my daughter is it's, it's very important that I, I feel as though that 
you know, I'm kind of like ground zero. Somebody in my family, I felt like had to go out there and just, man, take, take the bull by the horns and, um, you know, prepare the way for the future risings to come along. Cause you know, uh, so that's, that was, that was the main thing. I thought, I thought it was always kind of intriguing. You, you hear about people who buy land, you know, like the great grandparents bought this land. Well, they, they paid for that land and they maybe didn't really use that land or benefit from that land. And then four generations later, they're, you know, making it commercial and putting, you know, buildings on it and leasing it out and making a billion dollars doing that. Well, that it took somebody at the very beginning to say, you know what, I'm going to be unselfish and I'm going to get this land and, and hold on to it and not really benefit from it. But my future heirs will, uh, will benefit from that. So yeah, I'm, I'm big into the generational, uh, changing i call it social uh generational mobility yes and uh and and to me we haven't talked about it in quite some time on the show it could it could be another point in the fit position dave because uh you know i would say it's my position to do that i want the young people in my family to benefit from the sacrifices i'm making now that's actually my my most of my motivation you know because I kind of already feel in some ways financially independent because I don't want to retire. Like I'm already living the life that I want to live, which, you know, I know everybody's not doing that. And so some people want to make sure they retire early. You know, there's the fire community and all that, but I mean, I I have no desire for all that, but, but yet I'm still investing for that same reason because somebody has to start it. I love that mentality, that, that idea of social generational mobility that, you know, we're never more than one or two generations away from being in the top 5% of, of, of um, families in the country when it comes to wealth, it really doesn't take that many generations to rise into that top 5% and anyone can do it. It just takes that first person to make those sacrifices. So that that's awesome, man. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, the thing that, well, you had mentioned about retirement, you know, not sure how many years I'll go, maybe I'll go 31, maybe I'll go 32, not sure, something like that. But a part of my goal too, was to be able to get myself off the, off the tracks early. I think it's important. You know, we always talk about, you know, if you go 33, you're going to get this percentage more. Well, there's a, you know, there's a variable out there that we don't continue. We don't like think about and that's time. Time is the variable that is, is so valuable. And, and hypothetically, what if I told you that every year you work after the age of 50, you lose eight to 10 months off of your life? Well, if you were told that, then how much does that percentage change your decision to stay 35 or do whatever, you know, to continue? Yeah, it just depends on whether you're enjoying what you do or not and whether it's too taxing on you or not. Everybody's going to be different on that for sure. Sure. You know, yeah, so. I think the, well, that's the one great thing about teaching again that, you know, we get to we get to practice retirement every year. We do. Uh, and this is something that I know teachers yes. get mad about sometimes, but you know, when you'll see people arguing uh, on social media that teachers don't make enough or they make too much or teachers are lazy or this, that, or the other, I mean, we're, we're 10 month employees. And then when you factor in all the different breaks that we have in the federal holidays, you know, obviously, you know, with coaching and maybe you stay late and you're grading papers and things like that, you know, we, we pretty much work nine months out of the year when you subtract that other stuff. So, you know, you can still teach and those breaks, they just seem, and we've talked about this before, coach, they come at the right time. So if you're still loving teaching, you can keep doing it and mm-hmm. you can still travel in the summer and you can plan to go somewhere for maybe a week over spring break or a couple of weeks over, you know, Christmas break and go for Thanksgiving break. So again, as, as educators, you've got to figure out 
your why and what you want to do. So I kind of lean more on Keith's side. Maybe it's because we share blood and DNA here. Um, but, you know, I, I look at, man, as soon as I turn 50 and I have access to my pension, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to be 40 this year. I would think as of now, it could change. I would think that I'll take that pension as soon as I can get it at 50 and then I'll immediately pivot and, and see what else I can do to parlay and, and kind of do the double dipping, whether it's another career, maybe it's coming back and teaching part time or maybe going over to the college. I don't really know. But the key thing is I like to have options. Yeah, definitely. I feel yeah, you I like the idea of options, too, that, you know, but uh, I mean, it so could, could it be, you know, I don't. I, I'm, I say that I wouldn't want to do anything else at 44, but who knows how I feel at 54, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think you're right about that. Every summer we get to practice retirement. Like right now, I can't wait to get back in the classroom. So I know retirement, I'm not ready for that yet, you know, but I'm wondering if the summer will ever come where I'm like, Oh man, I got to go back to the classroom. I hear all the, the people on social media, uh, some former colleagues and some current colleagues are like, I can't believe summer's almost over. And you know, they're, they're, they're lamenting over, the start of the year. And I'm like, man, I'd be trying to find something else to do if I was that miserable. But sometimes I think they're just trying to be funny though. You know, it's not really serious, but, but uh, we do get to practice that all the time. So, um, so in your retirement, just to kind of revisit the question, you're going to try to not touch your investments. It sounds like, and try to just live off your pension. Well, I'm going to attempt to live off. I'm going to definitely take money out of the, out of the investments. And my goal is right now is to live off of 3% off of it and just kind of be able to live like a king and just pull 3%. Also having the ability to pull zero. If I needed to, like if we have a down year and I want to pull zero to protect that generational wealth, I want to be able to do that as well. So that's kind of what I'm I'm, I'm prepping now. Um, Right now, sitting at age 50, I'm just approaching $500,000 in just investments, just investments. And it's split between three um, IRAs. So I've got uh, the 403B, my original 403B. And I was blessed to have someone uh, very hands-on. I would meet with my investor all the time. He came to me, Mr. Blazo came to me, said that we got this new option. It's a GMIB backed rider. So I said, well, can we put all of our money into this GMIB backed rider? Because it's guaranteeing 6%. You know, and he goes, no, you can't do that. I said, well, then let's stop investing into this one and let's go full hard into the to the one with the GMIB rider, which that's got benefits and, and, and things, too. And then, of course, when my Andrew Blazer retired, I was blessed to have Florence Stan Mihai from MetLife um, take over. And he has been amazing for me. He said, let's take that original IRA that you got all that money into and let's get into this new IRA that has very few fees and has a lot of upward mobility. And my, my portfolio has excelled massively under him and he got me into Roth IRAs. So I've been maxing out Roth IRAs for some time with him. And he's, he's been wonderful at uh, moving and shaking my money like that. And, I'm, I'm, you know, I benefit greatly from him being a part of that. But uh, yeah, you know, they say your money will last if you go like four to five percent, if you withdraw four to five percent a year. I'm going to push that down to three percent so that I can continue to. Uh, that's to that's actually the argument that they have. Some say three, some say four, some say five. Mm-hmm. There's a debate about how much it should be. I, if, I think that probably the rule of thumb would be go as low as you can. 
You know, right. I, there's there's no need to push it to four or five if you can do it at three. And if you could do it at two, why why go to three? You know, so that just True. makes a lot of sense. And we're lucky in the sense that we have pensions. And so we take the pension, we put it with what we're withdrawing from our investments and, you know, what is reasonable for us to live off of. Um, I think that's really wise. That's a good yeah, that, idea. That's what I wanted to ask. I want to ask a little more about the pension. As far as I understand, uh, having friends and family that teach in Ohio, the, the full pension if I'm not mistaken, I, I don't know if you got in before that. Is is it 35 years? At what age will you be able to actually access that pension? And I don't know if you've run the numbers or if you're comfortable talking about maybe projecting what the pension's annual income will be. You know, if you got out at say 32 years, what what can you look at for the rest of your life? Yeah, it's looking like they have these calculators and that. For me personally, too, you get on STRS and that, and it's looking like you know, living from anywhere from if I go 31 to 32 in that vicinity, you're talking about living off of 37,000 a year to $40,000 a year, somewhere in that kind of vicinity. So, but that's in my wheelhouse. Cause like I said, I've like completely lived so far below my means my whole life and I continue to. So that's just going to, you know, fit right into that process. But the other thing too is, you know, the, the 403Bs that I have are obviously you, you, you get them taxed when you take the money out. So the more money you make with your STRS, that's, you know, you won't be able to pull out as much out of your 403 in a lower tax bracket, that type of a thing. So those are, and also the, the factor too, that the more you make in your pension, the less you'll make in your social security. There's all these little little wrinkles that kind of get you thinking, well, maybe I don't need to go 35. So you will get Social Security? Yes, I will. I will get Social Security depending upon when I take it because I have 35 years of uh, of earnings. And, um, you know, they, they they send me a statement and it's like you'll get twelve hundred dollars at age 67, but I won't get twelve hundred dollars. I'll probably get something like. $500 or for, you know, something like that because of the windfall elimination provision. And we're one of, I think, four states that, uh, that has that windfall provision. So it'll yeah, pay and for it's me. one positive, I guess we have in North Carolina to make up for some of the other crap we deal with, but, um, we do actually get our full, <laughs> we get our full social security. So in North yeah. Carolina, if you were to teach 30 years, uh, like Spies, if he were to teach 30 years, uh, probably, at, you know, 52 years old or so, his pension would probably be somewhere in the thirty five dollars to $37,000 a year. But then at 62, he'd also be able to tap into early Social Security if he wanted to. And obviously it grows 8% every year, you know, getting up to age 70. But you know, I think a North Carolina teacher with their their pension and their Social Security depending on when they take it, is, is probably going to give a North Carolina teacher somewhere around fifty dollars to $60,000 a year to live off of. So that's another key thing, I think, is setting yourself up on that, that nice runway landing strip that when you do retire, you have, as, you have no debt, maybe your house is paid off. I want to ask you, have you paid your house off? Is that something that is a priority um, before you retire if it's not? It's, it's funny you should mention that. It is, it is definitely a priority. I'm, I'm talking, I'm doing a lot of research now whether to actually, um, it'll be paid off in four years. So it'll be paid off prior to, prior to me retiring, which will be nice. You know, even though the payment is so low, it's still, it's still better to have nothing so that I don't have to access that money and that. But yeah, I just paid off my car just this week. 
I mean, I drive a really nice car, but I paid it off, you know, and uh, that's that's one of the things that uh, that clearing is kind of like the beginning of clearing the way for the for the runway to retirement, man. So, like I said, the house will be paid off in four and move forward. But the, the, I have to talk to you guys about the, my biggest thing is um, with with what we carry. Um, it's the knowledge passing the knowledge on to our kids. That's the most important things that we can do. There's nothing more important than them understanding what, what we're doing for them and what we're doing with them. And they need to do that for themselves and they need to do that for their children. And my daughter, Kelsey, I'm just so proud of her. I got a quick story about my girl, Kelsey. She at age 18 graduated from high school and she took her $3,500 from her graduation party and invested it into her Roth IRA. And then the next year was COVID time. You know, it was COVID. She was working at Rite Aid. And um, she goes, Dad, I got this whole wardrobe I want to buy. I got this whole wardrobe. I said, well, who are you trying to impress? Me? We're just sitting on the couch. We ain't allowed to go anywhere. So I talked her into investing $6,000, which is the max that someone her age can, can put into a Roth IRA. She's done that in, in mm-hmm. 2008. She's done that three times now. So in her in her Roth IRA at age twenty one, she's got twenty five thousand dollars in her Roth. Her she's got twenty one thousand dollars in her Roth, and she's opened a a four hundred one k with her nursing job. She's got like an STNA. She's like an assistant. So so she's got this or this four hundred one k. And she calls me, she says, how much should I put in? And she's putting in like 25% of her paycheck into a 401k. So here's a kid who at age 21 has got $25,000 in her retirement thing right now. And she's a guaranteed net worth millionaire. Oh yeah, for sure. Guaranteed. And here's the thing too. Now we, you know, how mine transitioned to generational wealth. Well, listen to how hers has transitioned. She is now at the front end of this fire movement which the FIRE movement is the, you know, financially independent retire early movement. So her plan is to, you know, obviously live with me as long as she can, because that keeps the bills and everything down. But, you know, her first year of of nursing, the first thing she's going to do is max out her 401k, which would be 19.5. And then she's going to 25 now. It's up to 20,500 now. Is it 20,500? Wow. All right. Good news for Kelsey. Yeah, exactly. So she's going to take that plus the Roth max right off the top. And then she's going to decide where her life leads after that. And it's like, how crazy is that? So she's going to be, she's going to be leading the movement. And her goal is to um, completely retire by the age of 45. And she'll make it before then actually. Oh yeah, man. She'll make, she'll make it before then. And you're, and you're helping her with that because if she's able to stay at home, that gives her the ability to be able to invest that much money. And so what you've done is you've trained her up to be an investor and to be live as frugal as she can. And so while so many others her age are trying to get out on their own as fast as they can, and they're getting locked in terrible leases and all this stuff, you know, she's sitting at the house and, and, and banking money. And, mm-hmm. you know, Dave always talks about 25,000 before you're 25. That's, that's mm-hmm. the key. And she did it. By 21. So yeah. Yeah. David sent out that thing. I saw that and I, I texted her and showed her. I said, Oh, you're on pace. You're on, you're overpaid. You know, that's go. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. You have your daughter that has 21,000 or 25. How much is it? 25,000 at 25,000 at 21. And you know, you didn't start investing until your third or fourth year teaching and you were doing 50 bucks right. a month. 
Yeah. But it's so important. If you're a young teacher, and when I say young, I'd say anybody under 35, I'm going to put myself in the old category at 39. Mm -hmm. But if you're under 35 years old, especially if you're in your 20s, if you can do that heavy lifting and delay gratification, then just like yeah. Keith said, you know, he didn't he didn't start out with doing much, but it grew over time over the course of a decade. He's done all his heavy lifting. He can kind mm -hmm. of take his foot on the gas and just having five hundred thousand dollars in investments only at 50 years old. He can't touch him for another nine and a half years. And if you look at the rule of 72 and you look at how long it will take for his money to double, let's just say that his, his money doubles every 10 years um at seven percent so at 50 he's got five hundred thousand. at 60 he's got a million he just was now able to touch it at 60 at 70 he's got two million at 80 he's got four million not counting any of his other stuff uh with mm -hmm. property and things like that so the earlier the better if you're in your 20s try to get twenty five thousand invested by 25 years old and maybe you feel like time has passed but do you have nieces and nephews do you have mm -hmm. children? Do you have grandchildren? You know, just because it passed for us and I didn't have 25 by 25 doesn't mean you can't spread the knowledge to other people. And I want to ask you that as we get ready to wrap up, how has your financial journey impacted you as a classroom teacher as far as maybe just knowing that you're secure? Has it made you a better teacher? And have you tried to take any of this knowledge and impart that knowledge to your choir students to help set them up? Yeah, I, I would say that for sure. And I, I speak to Kelsey about this a lot, man. I'm always happy. I'm always happy because I know that I have the security behind me of what I've done and what I've established that I'm going to be okay and everything's going to be okay. And there's some, there's some gratification and some peace of mind in knowing that if you're living paycheck to paycheck, cause you're spending right to your eyeballs and sure you're, you're going to work and you're stressing because you don't make enough or you're not getting ahead. But I really felt the, 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 the wind behind me of getting ahead because every single uh, statement would come, it would push me further. And I would feel like, Oh, I'm worth more. And, more. And, and I've instilled that in Kelsey. I said, you know, make sure that you're saving and you're, and you're pushing forward because I, I always tell her, she's, she said to me the other day, even she says, should I work this 12 hours? Should I take a month off work? And I said, well, listen, every dollar you put in now at age 21 is like, who knows? You know, it's a couple thousand dollars when you're ready to retire. So don't, don't, don't rest now. Now's the time to get on it and, and pedal hard now so that you don't have to pedal, you know, pedal hard at all in the future. You're just riding down the hill, man, enjoying, sticking your hands out, going we. These, and, these but, are all the fit position principles, you know, and, and Dave and I, I think, I, you know, we're, we're kind of unpacking these as we go, but this is just another interview with, with look, just a, a teacher who, uh, you know, um, we're, we're interviewing all these teachers that are winning with money and you just one start income nailing, family, right? This is a one yeah. income family, one income family. But what you're doing is, is you're nailing all the principles. And so, and, and these are, it, I, I like the way we're doing this because we've, we've, we've found the patterns, I think, in all of these different interviews. And you can see what it takes to be successful with money as a middle income earner. Uh, those middle income earners happen to be teachers, but uh, one of them you've, you've touched on already, but I'm going to just get you to expound on a little bit as we get ready to close. Um, and I don't, I don't, I, it, it might not be anything in particular. I don't know, but I didn't know if there was maybe, we talk about being a lifelong learner and that's one of the ways you win with money. Uh, was there anything in with regard to personal finance that you really read a lot of a, a specific author or publication or anything like that, that really helps you? 
or was it maybe just random research and things like that? I mean, I've done a lot of research with, you know, the stuff that you guys are throwing out there and the Ramsey stuff and, and doing this and that. But right now I'm, I'm kind of transitioning into a new aspect of my life. And I'm, I'm looking at like, what should I do with my RMD? You know, when I turn 72, they're going to force me to take out like a hundred and some thousand dollars. And I really feel like that's why you see all these old dudes rocking a Corvette because they probably get their RMD and they got to run out and buy a brand new Corvette because they don't know what to do with it. Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> or how I got to make sure that my my money, Kelsey's a beneficiary to, to my money, but what do I do? I have to call it an inherited IRA so that she'll have the ability to take 10 years to spend it. If I don't call it an inherited idea or an inherited IRA, she gets that money and she, she gets taxed 37% right on the total amount that first year. But by calling it an inherited idea, she'll have the full 10 years, but then she has to take RMDs out, which is for the required minimum distribution and to do all that. So we're researching that. I mean, I'm doing crazy stuff. Like maybe when I do, do that. She executes the plan and she stops working at that time. If she hasn't already completed the fire movement, you know, and gets all the money out as she can and under a lower tax bracket, it's all, it's all, man, I'm learning, man. I'm trying to figure it out. Constantly learning, man. Constantly. Like every time I think I know, you know, as much as I need to know, it's proven to me that I don't know as much as I need to know. And so, and that's what a formal education is supposed to do. Our what we really we lose track of this a lot of times in 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 our in our profession. But what we're really supposed to do is stimulate their curiosities and, and mm-hmm. give them the tools to learn for themselves and and teach them to be lifelong learners. If you do that, people are going to be successful. And it's no different with money, you know. One of the one of the coolest things that Kelsey came up with was, you know, she started at eighteen, so she wants to find a way to get her children to start before that. She's like, I'm going to have my kids turn 16, get a job, make 6,000. And I'm going to take my own money and I'm going to start their Roth IRA at 16. So she got this plan to start, you know, so that she's going to pass on that knowledge to be even. So uncle Mark passed it to me. He started probably at 33. I probably started at 26, 27. She started at 18 and now her kids hopefully will start at 16. And uh, yeah, her first crazy. question on a date would probably be, so what's your net worth? Because, <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, because I'm not I'm not dating any scrubs. You're going to have to you're going to be, you're gonna have to bring something to the table here. Man. I'm not, not going right? to carry you, gonna have to, carry have you here. Straight TLC hey. on that one. No scrubs. I always joke with their say, I got two words for you. Prenup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, this is this is great stuff, man. It's. You know, I'm so glad that we were able to reconnect, you know, when you're when you're a kid growing up and you know, you've got an older cousin that's 10 or 11 years older. You know, there's a big difference between, you know, you being in college at, at 18, 19 and I'm, you know, playing hot stove baseball at nine or 10, learning how to you know play kid pitch for the first time. So it's cool that as adults, we've been able to come together and and have this love and passion over the same thing. And I think you're doing a great job because what happens a lot in America and we see it so much in education, right? where I, I forget the saying, you guys can help me out on this, where they say that, you know, parents, we should, you know, help pave the way for our kids with knowledge and things like that. But a lot of times we see parents in the schools literally physically trying to pave the way for their kids and not making him them have to overcome obstacles and things like that. Big difference in the millionaire next door. They say it's so hard when that first generation does get that wealth. A lot of times by the third generation, they've blown through it. 
because sometimes the parents, they're achieving all the success at work and they're working the high income job and they never see their kids. And in order to pacify and please their kids, they just give them everything. But it sounds like you're actually taking the knowledge and obviously Kelsey, your, your young daughter is implementing this and she's already thinking forward about the next generation. So what could it be like in you know 40 years for the rising family? It's just crazy. We're talking deca millionaires, um, which really changes your family tree. So yeah, four generations, you end up in the top one, top half of the top one percent. Actually, like I, I saw an article on this on what you could potentially do um, by generation, and you know, based on historical returns in the market or based on uh, a 60-40 split in real estate and stock options and things like that. What could you potentially do? You can go from middle income earners to by the second generation net worth millionaires easily. Um, and then by, when you start talking about fourth generation, you're talking about moving into the top half of the top 1% uh, in America. Uh, and it's, it's, it's unique because our, our money and our wealth is built on knowledge. It's not like we're some, you know, rental video store that they're going to run, you know, at a, a brick and mortar store that might go down or something like that, right. or it's based upon, you know, it's, it's based upon get your kids invested by age 16 and let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Absolutely. Last thing I want to ask you is, you know, obviously we talk to teachers from all over the, the country and even the world with a few of the episodes. Is there anybody that you can actually kind of confide in at work? That's another teacher that's doing similar things to you, or do you, have you noticed that maybe it's more of a negative attitude or maybe ignorance regarding uh, being able to invest as a teacher at your school? I have been the mentor for a number of young teachers. Um, you know, I always, always talk invest, invest, invest. But another thing that I also protect them from is like, you know, try not to leave. Don't cross state lines. Don't mess up your pension. You know, you teach and know how. Don't run the PA for, you know what I mean, after seven years, because then you're going to have to teach 42 years to get to your 35. But they don't there's no big disclaimer that information like that is out there. So, yeah, I, I look at myself as a bit of a mentor for for all of the young teachers that come into our district and uh, I try to try to get them into the investing side of things for sure. You're, you're the Mark Fleischer now that's uh, telling these young teachers, you got to invest. Let me see that paycheck. I do the same thing at my school. So apparently Mark has passed that on down to us, but Keith, awesome, awesome interview. Coach Cease, I always appreciate you being on and taking the time out of your busy football schedule And I want to thank all of the fit listeners for joining us on this version of the fit educator podcast. We hope you join us for next week's episode. And remember someone is sitting in the shade today because they planted a tree a long time ago. Take care, everybody.